0: welcome to some derp's talk about games i'm your co-host mango
1: and i am your co-host buddy
0: and today we're going to talk a little bit about uh resurrection of old game genres that has happened kind of recently before we do that buddy why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast
1: well on this podcast we like to talk about games um one of the interest i i like I we we were talking, the, the genesis of this, we were, talking, we, were like, we were like, what should we do for a topic today, right? So I was just asking Mango what he played, and he mentioned Minecraft Dungeons and Streets of Rage 4. And I was thinking about that, I was like, man, Streets of Rage 4? And then when I looked it up real quick, and I was like, holy shit, like the old 2D beat-em-up, Streets of Rage, has a new <laughs> installment that came out? And the answer is yes, it's called Streets of Rage 4. <coughs> Excuse me um and then that just kind of got me to start thinking about how you know like one of the big games at the end of last year seemed to be age of empires 4 um and also the age of empires 2 remastered that also came out and was like getting traction like people were playing and so people were like replaying kind of these like classic rts's um whereas you know like when i think of an rts obviously i think of starcraft and starcraft kind of famously Got put to rest, right? Like, um, you know, uh the the remastered original StarCraft came out, but otherwise uh Starcraft 2 ended its development cycle. It's no longer a development. Um and then I was thinking about, you know, like classic WoW and old school RuneScape and other, you know, MMOs that are putting up classic servers at this point. And it's just kind of like it's got me to this point where I was just thinking about all of those pieces. And I and I realized 10 years ago this this that's it's weird right i feel like 10 years ago we were witnessing the we were on the cusp of all of these new dramas right we were about to see mobas or we were in the process i guess of watching mobas become the hugest game of all time right we were about to see stuff like digital card games right like hearthstone is is coming out soon you know magic the gathering arena is coming out not too long after that and all of the other various incarnations right um that, you know, that, that have come out since uh, we hadn't seen, you know, PUBG yet, but all of the stuff that went into making PUBG PUBG was definitely going at the time, right? You still had Arma mods, right? That would be the sort of the Genesis, like the fertile sort of like spawning yeah, ground. Yeah. So... If I'm looking at the early 2010s I'm looking at a a version of gaming that is looking towards the future and finding new genres and combinations of genres and all these other sorts of things. When I'm looking at the version of gaming now in 2022, right? I feel like I'm looking at a uh I'm looking at an industry that is pulling from the past, right? We are we are <laughs> resurrecting Diablo 2. We're doing wow classic we're doing you know um the whole, a the whole, lot you know like Psychonauts 2 right like a lot of that kind of stuff so that's my I don't know that's my overall thesis and yeah where do I really mean, go from there? Like, like the whole
0: RTS genre like like the the whole kind of like match based RTS genre right like we would call like APM RTS genre has been in sharp decline there was Starcraft 2 that was basically like kind of the last flash in the pan for it for a long time. Like yeah, you said, AOE 4 has kind of started to bring it back um, and it's pulled in a lot of like old StarCraft pros as well. Um, yeah, similarly, stre- Streets of Rage, right? Like side-scrolling beat-em-ups, not really a thing for a long, long time. Um, until yeah,
1: like- I mean, I th- I feel like if I'm looking at an arcade, I'm looking at a million cabinets that are this genre, right? Yeah. I've played the Simpsons one. I've played the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ones. I've played all of the Streets the of X-Men Rage. X-Men ones. Yeah, the X-Men ones. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, like, have I played a game like that recently? No, of course not, right? So I don't, Streets of Rage is, the, is, like, the very interesting addition there for me. Yeah.
0: Streets of Rage 4 is super fun, too. So, so part of the reason, and this is maybe the alternate topic, is I, I I had some friends over this weekend. We were playing a bunch of local co-op games. Um and that's where the streets are like it was on Game Pass. Um mm-hmm. uh, and it was like, What, you know, I've heard good things, let's let's boot it up and it's super fucking fun. Um for, you know, a bunch of different reasons. One, it's like it's it's a little bit less cheap than kind of like the old slides going beat em ups were like built around the arcade games, which, you know, were built around taking your money like special moves drained your health in this game, special moves drain your health, but you can uh get some of it back with like normal attacks, like it gives you basically like great health effectively. Um and uh the systems are are relatively well done it's it's uh got a lot of styles and then there's just like some dumb little things like there's like friendly fire on by default um and so the game quickly really devolved into like beating your friends up so you could take the uh the, the items on the ground which is uh <laughs> super fun um um uh, and led to uh like us falling apart on the last boss and being like i can't do this anymore um but, uh, <laughs> but it's uh it's a super it's a super fun game and it's kind of like it's very interesting because it's like kind of like the the how do I want to put this like the consoleification like the the user like basically we, they 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 took the the size beat em up and made it user friendly which is not a thing it had ever been before it's always been kind of like you know this this piece of shit quarter muncher model um mm-hmm. and they uh and they did they did something new with it um which is just interesting like i don't know i'm curious as to why that genre died so hard because it's kind of like an obvious genre right like walk through things and and beat things up whereas like rts i can understand why that kind of faded um just because like the apm based rts kind of faded because like it is just so skill based um and kind of like if you're getting into getting into it competitively it quickly becomes impenetrable to someone from the outside um which yeah i mean
1: that's what i think I, and I like StarCraft a lot, right? Obviously, but that's what eventually I think killed the genre because eventually what happened is StarCraft just boiled itself down. It optimized itself down to this one individual question Can you do you have more APM than your opponent? If the answer is yes, you win. If the answer is no, you lose. Like that's kind of it. I, th- right? I think
0: that's a little unfair, but I think that that is like kind of like that that helps that that kind of is part of the problem.
1: Okay, yeah, that that's true. I am I am certainly being reductive. Really what I what I guess I'm saying is the difference between a bronze player and a plat player and a challenger player of StarCraft 2 is likely raw APM. That, that that is is more the point that I'm making, right? Okay. If yeah, you were yeah. to if you were to distill sort of the essence of what each of those levels of a StarCraft 2 player would be. The defining factor I think in that analysis would be APM.
0: Right. Or like the strongest correlating factor. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, that, yeah, yeah that's really what I'm getting that. at. Right yeah,
1: and yeah. um and you know and I there was a time when I had APM for the for that you know like and I was grinding you know StarCraft ranked matches um when I was in high school or whatever I mean this was obviously before StarCraft two which came out when we were in college um but uh, but I just feel like you know like then things were so at least at least kind of in the way that we were playing at the time they were just like not optimized to that point enough where I felt like even if I didn't have the incredible levels of ATM I could outsmart an opponent with an interesting strategy, something like that, right? Um, and that just kind of feels like it it went away as the game got more and more refined for its esports-based audience um, until you got to the point where, you know, matches are basically impenetrable because the minds of the players are moving so fucking fast and you're watching, and you're trying to watch the screen, right? And you're trying to watch them move around the map and make maneuvers. But like the tactics and strategy are getting refined and executed in such a way that like the color casters basically can't keep up with it. And it's like, on one hand, I think that that's, (laughs) that's kind of crazy and cool because like watching people be incredibly technically proficient at a thing is also crazy and cool, but it's like, I don't know. It's, it feels like, uh. Uh, that there that, that the genre reached its natural lifespan right, and kind of died a little bit, I guess is what I would say
0: yeah no i i think I, I think I would generally agree with that that the um uh, that
1: uh, hmm.
0: i think so I think that it like natural lifespan, that, that's an interesting point to make, right i I think that version of the lifespan went and died right like the the kind yeah. of like like very heavy um uh very heavy APM <laughs> as, as determinant actually i don't think it died i think it like transformed into league of legends basically right transformed into mobas uh which comes out of the warcraft tradition
1: um, yeah i mean that's definitely true you know like a part of the part of the basis of starcraft and warcraft has, was always the map editor right Um, And being able to play, you know, funky Warcraft 3 custom maps and Starcraft 2 arcade maps, that kind of stuff. So I feel like that's certainly, you know, like that's certainly a part of it. I also think that like you know, one of the things that's attractive about a MOBA is your ability to hyper-focus on one individual yeah. person, right? Like, I think, you know, a MOBA is also very APM intensive, but it's not APM intensive in a macro sense, right? Where I need to be constantly skipping through the map to see multiple different bases and manage their production pipelines and all this other sort of stuff, right? Which is something that is true of StarCraft. Um, I just need to focus on my one character, right? And you know, maybe I need intense, crazy APM and ridiculous reflexes when I'm playing Zed and I'm trying to 1v1, you know, the enemy Zed or something. Um, But like most of the time, I just have to dedicate all of that APM into one focal point. And I think that that's something that's like really, really powerful.
0: I agree. I, I agree 100%. And like, I th- I, like, something that was always like a kind of a constant frustration for me was like in order to optimally play StarCraft, like you can't really watch the fights happen at least not 100% of the time like i kind of oh like, yeah you know i would want to crash my army into theirs, so like maybe do some adjustments but the big thing is i want to see the fight happen right like that's like the fun part of the game right um and if you're playing up, like you're bouncing back to your base to make making sure like production's still on schedule while you're fighting and it's like you know a lot of kind of like chores almost to like and like you don't even get to like watch the fun part at least from kind of like a like, a very casual perspective, which is the only thing I was... Yeah, to and then, had,
1: then the you know. fun part itself, you have to optimize, right? Like, you know, like, I think of uh, Medevac Marine Marauder, right? Like, I was playing Terran. And the way that you played that is you did almost orb-walking. But instead of orb-walking with one unit, you're orb-walking with your entire army, right? Because you're moving, stopping so that they can all fire once, and then moving in between... So that you are maximizing your ability to chase and fire without having the, you know, like the thing that happens in Starcraft, people in chat will be able to see this like on the, on the video, but like you will, they'll naturally encircle. And so if you just run your army at their army, what, what ends up happening is your guys are blocking off one another. But if you move it all as an individual clumped unit, you actually get much higher DPS that way. Um and that's obviously you know very APM intensive um but it is not like the natural way that I want to fight these battles if that makes sense
0: yeah I mean and, and I think I think that one's a little bit a little bit more defensible just because like kind of like that's a high skill play right like you yeah. know um and I get that like you know the difficulty there maybe like uh mitigates against it but like it's uh it's I I think I think Uh, i I get your point but i also think that like you need like i think that's the the counterpoint right some of that you need some of that in order for the game to kind of like remain like interesting like have enough player expression and enough player skill to like kind of like differentiate the greats from the um from the not so greats um and i guess um i don't know i i don't i I wonder how much of that like directly contributed to like starcraft falling off i i think kind of like the impenetrability of some of it definitely like led to it falling off i think that like and, I, and from what I understand, I have not played AoE four, but um, friend of the cast X has and has talked about about it to me at some length. Um, and it seems like AoE four is just like not as much as StarCraft two, right? Like it's it's uh, it's a little bit more um, reasonable um, in terms of of that kind of thing. And it's starting to bring back that kind of style of play, which is interesting. Um, just get, kind of given that the genre almost completely completely freaking died. Um, Yeah, I also
1: think, you know, and this is my greater point, right, which is that um, uh, I think that the explosion of non-RTS strategy games uh, is also a piece of the, the puzzle, right? Like, I think part of this is StarCraft's fault in a way for, you know kind of prioritizing its es- e-sports ability and all this other sort of stuff right um but i actually think that a lot of it isn't starcraft's fault it's just like the nature of the genre expanding right because now you're getting games like europa universalis you're getting civ 5 civ 6 um you know you're getting um the total war games right total war warhammer comes out in 2016 warhammer 2 comes out in 2018 right and i feel like those are things that syph- that are siphoning off some of these strategy players right um because and even even like xcom is sort of in this in this vein as well because a lot of these games are incredibly replayable games right like you know if you just think about how much time it takes to complete a campaign in any of the total war warhammer games right and then think about the number of different like factions and races with completely different mechanics right like those games and, you know, multiply that by all of the different major countries in Europa Universalis, all of the different, you know, Axis and Allied powers in Hearts of Iron. Honestly, not even you you can even do non-Axis and Allied powers, right? Like one of the big updates they had for that game was to make weird countries that nobody would want to play like fucking New Zealand viable and fun countries to just kind of make a hard mode run out of right um you know you have stuff like stellaris which is adding all of these content packs that's adding that's adding in new ways to play the game like megacorps like hive minds etc right when you're faced with competition in your genre right that is offering just like that insane level of content to people i feel like you know, part of the issue is also just the evolution of the way strategy games Changed from 2010 to 2020, if that makes sense.
0: It does. It does to a certain to a to a certain extent, and there different types of games. But I think the thing there is that they're not effectively multiplayer focused, right? Like, Starcraft yeah. had the story mode, but that was like not the main <coughs> show ever, right? Like, um,
1: I love those stories, guys I, I it, know, man, I know that you did, but like, you know,
0: it's it's you know not like I said, it's not the main show, right? Like the main show is the multiplayer, yeah. um, and uh these strategy games that you're that you're talking about um it the multiplayer is not the main show at least not in that way like not in the competitive sense right like absolutely I'm sure they have these multiplayer modes but it's it's about kind of like um the single the single player games were kind of like these were like you know less competitive multiplayer right like you know when when we play ck2 and ck3 it's usually we're not at each other's throats and it's like that's not the point the point isn't to like kill the other player character you know player people uh yep. human players um and I think, I wonder how much of this kind of like coincides with the rise of streaming as a factor, right? Like, you know, you can stream like, like before kind of like Twitch becomes like a, this, this this crazy entity, right? Most of the stuff that got, that, that you could see, right? That was either like streamed in like a very, low, you know, on like a very particularized way on like a dedicated site. Or, you know, even like broadcast on television. Were these competitive matches, right? Like you wouldn't get ESPN to like, you know run, you know, Quiznos 123 CK3 stream, right? Because it's just kind of like whatever, right? But like now that Twitch exists, like those those kinds of things become more viable and you have less need to kind of push the esports angle um in, in order for it to like make some sort of broadcasting sense.
1: Which is ironic because I think Starcraft is one of the biggest games that was on the original, you know, and not even just Twitch, right? Twitch was one, but there was also Own3D. There were a couple yeah. of different ones, Justin TV, um was another one and i think a lot of those a lot of those early streamers were you know like were competitive like starcraft kinds of people right like destiny for instance now is a completely unrelated streamer he like i mean the i don't
0: call politics streamer, right yeah he's like a
1: politics streamer right but like he started as a starcraft streamer right um and i think that there are a lot of people who are like that right league of legends streamers who started as uh starcraft streamers um uh hearthstone you know trump was a starcraft streamer before he became a hearthstone streamer right like i feel like i feel like that's like a very common sort of um uh progression for a lot of a lot of streamers to have gotten their start in a game like starcraft and then transitioned out into you know into something else whether that's total war whether that's you know (coughs) crusader kings whether that's whatever
0: yeah, basically, it's something that's like more based around like audience interaction than around like pure skill display, right? Like, um, like I think I think some of the the purest gaming streams that are still out there are probably like fighting game tournaments and what mm-hmm. and, you know other tournaments as well. Um, but fighting games is like seems to be one of the few things where like they're still like purely running sets and like you know it's not the most popular genre, right? The what's what's the most popular game on Twitch right now? um because this is the most popular stream it certainly isn't this one um but uh do you do let's, let's
1: it's probably like one of like league or fortnite or uh apex uh, uh so it's
0: it's fortnite per game Fortnite and minecraft um and de valor and it looks like um and then just chatting uh which is where we are um yeah i don't know i i think it's kind of like comes down to like the the friendlyification as it were of uh of of streaming right it's much less about like, into, like it, it's much less about like displays of skill and more about kind of like that that um what what's what's the word uh what's the word for like the not real friendships um, parasocial relationships parasocial right not parasitic parasocial yeah. that is exactly uh what it, it, like you know parasocial uh uh relationships is uh or parasocial relationship stream i think is the uh uh is is kind of like what the you know quote unquote t- Twitch meta is right now. I think yeah. that's kind of like where everything was 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 going towards. It's like just talking. Yeah, people. you know
1: something something that happens pretty commonly on Twitch is you'll have the sort of like top ten, which will be you know like nine of them are going to be mainstays, right? You know, Grand Theft Auto Five, League of Legends, Fortnite, Valorant, Minecraft, Counter Strike, right? Call of Duty. Those you know it, it makes sense. Those guys are in the top 10. Then you have the one that is like flavor of the month, right? Right now, this is Pokemon Legends Arceus, right? It just came out a couple of days ago. It's an open-world Pokemon RPG. This is probably not going to last that long, right? But a lot of the times, other, you know, like other Nintendo, you know, like Animal Crossing will be in there, right? Or, um, you know, if a Mario game is coming out, it might it might be in there <laughs> or just like any one of these <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> any one of these kind of like flash in the pan um games that have a that have sort of a lifetime right you play them for 60 hours you put them down kind of thing um so yeah i feel yeah. like that's sort of what i expect in a way
0: yeah um but us kind of bring it back to our our our, uh, our our kind of core topic here right like um with, with that kind of comes to the death of some of these more More competitive genres, but that's not like the only genre that we've been that we that we've identified here, right? Like, uh, I'm curious kind of about maybe doing the same kind of like deep dive on um on uh, what's it um on uh on like something like like the beat 'em up genre, right? Because like that that makes much that makes much less sense to me as to why that went away. Um, so so here's
1: my first thought, which is that I think couch co-op had a small lull between the arcade days right and what would end up being sort of like the 90s um and uh into into like console gaming the future right (laughs) so here's so here's what i'm thinking right the arcades early 80s kind of into the late 80s then you have the nes right Um, and the, and the SNES, both of which have two controllers and you do a little bit of co-op. Right. And I bet, you know, streets of rage or whatever it, you know, I bet those had a a port and they did, they did fine, I guess. Um, but my guess is that you know, like, there's something about playing something like Streets of Rage with four people, right? Like having a bigger group than that. And obviously, on the NES, you can only have two people. On the SNES, you can only have two people. And that's more or less true until you get up into the N64, right? Which is like the first real platform era where now it's four people, right? Um, and and the N64 lasts for a generation until you get into the Xbox, PS2 uh generation and the xbox brings xbox live and now all of a sudden the whole dynamic for for co-op completely changes we're not doing couch co-op anymore we're doing online we're doing halo 2 that you know like that kind of thing right and so to me the linearity is is based on this sort of this co-op line you have four players in the arcade doing doing couch co-op that makes sense then it goes down to two players being able to do co-op well it's maybe not as good as it as it used to be you can't be in a big you know like a big group anymore right then you we go back into the four-player couch co-op phase but now my it it is no longer co-op it's couch pvp essentially right you have smash brothers you have mario kart you have golden eye these are all pvp games right these are all me fighting my friends or whatever right and then from there you go into online xbox live right PlayStation 2 online matches against other people, where I am, where I am doing fully online PvP, and I feel like it has only gone. The, the pendulum has been swinging back towards that couch PvP base for kind of a while now, right? Like you have stuff like Overcooked, um, you have a couple of these other sorts of the, like these other sorts of games that came out specifically with the pandemic. It felt like where people were were kind of getting back into. Um getting into that stuff. Also, for what it's worth, the SNES had the multi-tap for four player games. I played so much super super bomber man. I did not know about that game. And I also did not know that was true of the SNES. But you know, that's my that's maybe my hypothesis, I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah. So so I think I agree with you <coughs> on the online Sorry. part. Like I, I think to Louis's point, right there's the multi-tap for the SNES. I think that I think that it was like I think it really was kind of like Xbox Live, like killing um and you know, the associated services killing the need for, and also kind of the mainstream mainstreaming of video games in a lot of ways, right? Like, um, you know, instead of having to go over to like Steve's house, like, you know, I know when I was like a kid, kid right? Like, you know, you either had an NES or a Sega Genesis, right? Like, um, you rarely had both because you know, no one's gonna pay for that, right? With the mainstreaming of consoles, that becomes less of kind of like a, a problem, like. Most people, like most kids, I think, had at least one, which, was, which wasn't which was a given. Um, and two, just kind of like, maybe kind of like the, like, you know, it's like a larger cultural shift. I know that people talk about this is like, you know, parents feeling less safe about like letting their kids interact with other people, like kind of freely. Um, but I, I think I'd pin, I'd pin the, the couch co-op thing a little bit more on, on the online services specifically. But I still don't think that that speaks to exactly why Streets of Rage um as like like the beat-em-up genre kind of kind of died because like i think maybe that's like best um experience in a couch combo but there's no reason that can't be an online multiplayer experience right? Like streets of rage 4 has an online ability to, to to play that way if uh if you want to um so um i was like because like like we were talking about with starcraft right there's a very genre specific reason why that died and that is because the the high skill became less interesting and less of a selling point right, and kind of, like, relatable to, to individual players, um, like, the the pure high skill, otherwise kind of, like, indecipherable version of StarCraft, um, uh, but I don't see that exactly happening with, um, Streets of Rage, and maybe, maybe that can just be boiled down to the fact that, like, no one bothered to try and figure out how to balance them to not be, like, quarter munchers, right, like, because, like, that, that was, like, I can tell you that the, that those like early versions, like early port versions of those games, um, and kind of even the ones that were exclusively designed for console, like this is like I think part of the Nintendo hard thing, which like these very punishing games that would have made sense in an arcade setting because they wanted to eat your quarters. Um, are just kind of like that level of difficulty fell off as like a thing. I guess no one like no one tried like people made or you know Nintendo made um, Mario games. Significantly, like like they lined them up to be like less punishing and to be like more kind of like platforms that you could play as like an experience rather than kind of mm-hmm. like a, a thing like an adaptation of an arcade model. But no one seemed to do that with the kind of side-scrolling beat 'em up uh, genre, right? Like th- there was Castle Crashers, and that was like it for like you know it was like ten years of nothing, and then Castle Crashers, and another ten years till we hit Streets of Rage four, which is in hyperbolic, but like a, a pretty. Or like seems to, to my mind at least, is like a fairly accurate representation of what actually happened. Um, and I I I don't quite know why. You you have any do you have any thoughts specifically about like why why the genre would? would
1: fall I mean, it is that? an interesting thing, especially because like I feel like something that benefits a lot from the advances of game development, right? Is um, proce- you know, it's just like raw processing power, right? And something that Streets of 4 Rage does, to to the best of my knowledge, I haven't played the game, but to the best of my knowledge, um, it adds like characters with like real unique abilities yeah. that are doing that are doing more complex stuff than the version. Ver- I mean, characters in the arcade version did also have unique abilities, right? Like this was a you know, Bart uses his skateboard, Lisa uses whatever, like that kind of thing. But just like it is more, <laughs> they it's more almost like kind of like choosing a fighter in a fighting game it feels like um in streets of rage 4 based on the video that i watched um and, and that to me seems like maybe just like there wasn't there wasn't that vision for maybe the thing that would make this 2D beat-em-up better would be expanding on like the, you know, like the player power and kind of the fantasy of embodying one of these people. And I'm walking into a group with a different sort of moveset than somebody else that has these other sort of like capabilities. And I wonder if it just took 20 years for somebody to kind of like actualize that with Streets of Rage, uh, Streets of Rage 4.
0: No, that's that's actually that's interesting, right? Cause like um it's it's funny because like fighting games could have been in this position. Like fighting games and been ups for um reasons I couldn't quite clearly tell you have like always been like kind of intrinsically tied. And fighting games were dead for a long time, too. Um and uh and then Street Fighter 4 comes out when we're in college. That kind of like reboots the genre at that point. and It's kind of been like steadily growing since. But I think part of that is Street Fighter 4 was more approachable and like kind of like every kind of like new reboot of of all the big franchises right like strive right is a bit much more approachable than kind of than than guilty gear excerpt which is like you know it's direct prequel um and i wonder if if this, this kind of like gets into that theming right like of you know a more approachable version of the game gets made um at this point in time Right, because like again, you know, now that I think about it, right, like even Streets Street of Rage four wasn't like you know esports material. It was a very or you know Streets of Rage like the base games were like I said, very hard on purpose um, to eat your quarters. But like it, it took it took you know someone ten years to figure out how to make an RTS a little bit less obtuse than that. Maybe the same. Okay, so
1: this now. is interesting. Lou says in the chat, Gauntlet would like to speak with you, which. I don't think of those as being in the same genre but they kind of are, huh? Yeah. Right? Like but Gauntlet I mean it, Gauntlet's not 2D, right?
0: It it is or it depends on it depends on the version but I think most of them were. Um also I don't know if Gauntlet like Gauntlet had Well, they're things.
1: isometric, right? Is am I remembering this wrong? Um, I've not played a Gauntlet were still, game in a while.
0: isometric, but like the GameCube version was like 3d but maybe like force isometric if that makes okay sense. yeah
1: yeah yeah. so gauntlet legends this is the one i was thinking of which is from 1999 was an isometric game yeah so yeah that's interesting because i do think that there's a certain lineage there also that's like like for instance marvel ultimate alliance is also isometric but it is a beat-em-up right so it's like how much does the 2d versus the isometric map excuse me kind of matter in those um you know in that in that way um especially because part of it is well it's interesting yeah, so, so p- part of this
0: is that like gauntlet like gauntlet gets an entry in 2001 2007 and 2014 right like mm-hmm. this is not exactly like and they're not exactly selling gangbusters right like so i get what you're saying lou um but I don't know if they, like, really successfully, like, broke into the modern age, right? Like, it seems, it seems f- like- Well,
1: you know, well, see, okay, at what point is that, like, Diablo? I feel like Gauntlet is more like Diablo than it is, like, Streets of Rage, right? I think it's kind of, like, halfway
0: between, but I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things about Diablo, I feel like Diablo is meant to be sort of soloed more, mm-hmm. I guess, compared to gauntlet which is very much built to be a team-based co-op experience right um yeah, lou says the point was more that they did try to do different classes and abilities that's true
0: right? oh i
1: see i see yeah that definitely makes sense right i do think gauntlet uh had the sort of the classes and abilities thing down in the 90s um before streets of rage would would pick it up kind of like later down the line i also think that castle crashers might be a good example of this i bet that there are other sort of like indie versions um
0: right, but- well i I I I did I didn't mention castle crashers, right? But like that was like the yeah. only beat 'em up, right? Like um and also they didn't <laughs> they didn't really do class differentiation, right? They were just it was like just colors, right? Yeah, yeah, it was
1: just colors. So I guess I guess yeah.
0: Yeah. Huh, interesting. Um. Hmm. But yes. Um <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things where like no one, no one's inspired, and there's enough time that like there's something to grab on. Because like Streets of Rage Four is well reviewed, but it's also not like you know, it's not like it's the game to play right now, right? Like, um, that's still fucking part of Fortnite because it will always be Fortnite, right? Uh, so you have other game genres that that kind of like fall into this kind of like have been dead for a while and are and are coming coming back, um.
1: So the other one that I'm thinking of is uh, is like old school Runescape, classic WoW, right? Like these classic MMOs. Like I feel like, in a way, classic WoW was the um, the breaking point here that really like kind of crashed through to make a new uh sort of experience for people right um in terms of going back and thinking about in, in thinking about this stuff because we do know that there are other sort of like quote unquote classic servers servers and services so for instance final fantasy 11 hasn't been updated in a very long time but that, those silver ser- servers are still up they never took them down right final fantasy 11 is still is still running um and part of what makes that is the uh it's sort of like the nostalgia factor, but I think part of it is real raw game design, right? Like I do, there, there is something, there is some set of magic to that formula that is legitimately appealing and has been washed out over, you know, like the course of years and years of iterations and updates on, on the genre that makes what, what we know now is retail. Wow. Or final fantasy 14, incredibly different experiences than classic. Wow. Or final fantasy 11. Right. Um, and so the resurgence of classic as an experience interests me, especially because and, – and I don't know much about this, right? But especially because it also happened right alongside old-school RuneScape becoming, like, a huge deal, right? Old-school RuneScape, I feel like, is more popular than – I mean, is there a modern version of RuneScape? Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. That, like, that,
0: that, that's why OSR became, like – a. A thing, right? Like, because um, <coughs> I think they did like an updated version because that people like didn't latch onto as much. Um, and I, you know, I I feel like I I see what you're saying there, and I feel like I beyond kind of like blind nostalgia bait, which you know we've talked about, like, you know, you know like we've given credence to the idea that like maybe you know like maybe the devs are right when they say you don't actually want classic WoW type of deal. Um, I think part of the thing there is that like in modern MMOs, like sanding off the edges of like the kind of like the rougher parts of the player experience kind of unintentionally shaved off a kind a lot of what I would call like the community building experience or, like the server building experience, right? But yeah. making it easier to queue into a, um, uh, queue into it, like being able to queue into a dungeon and do that cross server and, you know, play with, they were playing with the same, you know, pickup group twice type of deal. Right, Like you don't build those reputations, right? Like, you know, spending 45 minutes finding a group to run a dungeon um, wasn't exactly fun, but it did kind of familiarize, it allowed you to familiarize yourself with the people you were playing with. Like if you had like three of the four, five people you needed for the dungeon, you you could talk to those people. You see the same people like talking in chat and you generate a server reputation type of deal. Um, And those things kind of went away with, with the new improvements, which are probably on balance better for the play experience, but worse for kind of like that magical community experience, which is I think what people really wanted to pull back out of Classic well, That was the thing they were really missing. Um, and I don't know if they've actually gotten that back yet or not, like if, if Classic WoW actually does that,
1: but... Um, the I- interesting thing is that now people are asking for server merges in Classic WoW because... So something that else something else that's true is... People don't want the modern sort of PvP MMO, it seems like, anymore, right? Like, there was this idea in Classic WoW that you were going to roll on a server, right? and you were going to you're going to roll on the server your your friends rolled on right one of your friends chooses a server they choose dune mall and you're going to roll on dune mall because that's where they are and you want to play with your friends right there's no ability to like do cross servers shenanigans right but now we have a much more sophisticated understanding of like the the greater infrastructure than we do back then right i didn't know about any other servers when i when i chose dune mall i chose dune mall cuz that was the server that we played on that was it right um, and what ended up happening was as we got more advanced in understanding servers now, so like in retail, wow, different servers have different identities, right? Illidan, Area 52, and Tichondrius are the most active and most hardcore servers for US players, right? Bartholus is, a, is an Oceania server, right? So if you're paired with somebody from Bartholus, they are from a uh they're from like Australia, right? Um Uh, as and Ragnaros are, um, are Brazilian servers, right? So if you, if you pick up players from those two, and these have server identities to them, right? People will say no Ragnaros players because they are prejudiced against people from that server, from having bad experiences with people from that server, right? Which by the way, I would say is racist and wrong, but whatever. Um, the, uh, and the flip side of this is that when you introduce the hard faction lock of Classic and you have a PvP, like a world PvP focus, right? What you end up getting is people don't want that, right? One of the, one of the WoW developers was talking about solutions to, to the server imbalance problem, which is that as the servers kind of mature and coalesce, people will either faction swap to join the dominant faction or they will transfer off to a server that they will research that they find has a good horde alliance ratio, right? Because they, what they want is they want to see red nameplates out in the world that they can kill, but they never want to be on the receiving end of that, of that equation. Right. And so what you get is the servers will slowly, slowly taper off until it is, you know, the, the, the Horde community is gigantic, and the Alliance community is tiny, or or vice versa, right? And so the solutions that players have proposed to do this is to create server merges, right, where they merge. You take a you take an Alliance server, you take a Horde server, and you smush them together. Obviously, there's a ton of there's a million other problems with this, right? There's no way that that is an efficient or correct solution, right? But it's it's what the the um it's what the community wants and is looking for. <laughs> Because they do value that kind of um that horde and alliance uh, uh, balance, but I think, I feel like this is the kind of interaction where we have seen classic servers are behaving now in a way that we wouldn't have expected them to behave in 2004, right? Because in 2004, just the mechanics of all this are so much different, are so completely yeah, I, different. I, mean,
0: I think part of that is just like you can't server transfer easily, right? Like. And you know the grind is so hard to get to level sixty that it's like you know we're sticking it out, right? Like you, people are actually committed to things back in the day, back in my day. Right? Yeah, like, and
1: like at the time, the primary way it was, th- it was me using WoW as the social platform, right? Yeah. Which is to say that the primary way I was interacting with people was in guild chat or in whispers, right? Or my my friends list, and my friends list was linked to people on the server. I could not be, I could not have a, a WoW friend. Of someone on a completely different server. There was no Battle.net at, at the time, right? But now, so much of that has actually fallen out of the game, right? Where if I'm if I'm doing stuff with a guild, I'm doing that in Discord, right? Or I'm you know I'm using Battle.net stuff, right? And my Battle.net friends list has all of these people and all of these different. On all of these different servers that I can like whisper and talk to at any time, and so when you kind of pull that social element out, you you are you're getting rid of some of the glue and the adhesion that would bind someone to a server, which makes it pretty easy to faction swap, right? You get a whole guild, you say, hey, everybody, we're pay- we're paying. 25 bucks each we're going over to benedictus because it's the you know it's majority whatever or we're we're you know we're doing whatever the the kind of the case may be because people are mad that they're getting ganked when they're doing their dailies
0: yeah yeah that's fair that's fair
1: but I do think that the flip case of this is also true. So that, that that's kind of the negative side, right? But the positive side is I think standing off the edges does have a legitimate kind of like charm to it. Um, something that I remember when I was playing Classic that was legitimately like awesome and interesting was the way I was managing my inventory. Because it's something I basically never have to do in like um in the modern version of World of Warcraft. I have a mount that I can buy pretty cheap. You know, and it's available in all my characters, and I bought this in Mists of Pandaria that I get on that mount and boom, you know, or I, it wasn't in Mists of Pandaria, I bought it in Wrath. I can just sell all of the junk in my inventory, right? Whereas in Classic, I have to run back to town and, like, go find a shopkeeper and dump my and dump my inventory. So you have this, like... this sort of um back and forth relationship where you're going out you're doing the quest you're killing the mobs you're coming back to town you're turning in some quests you're selling all your stuff and i think that that as a loop is a is a very satisfying one um that kind of gets lost with some of the modern conveniences
0: yeah no i i I agree with that and like the, the the problem is is like you still need to like put like these effectively want to, like, pull pull the same time on it. So by making it more convenient to sell things, you just kind of have to, like, inflate, inflate the prices of things, essentially. Yep. Right? Like, gold inflation is, like, a huge thing that, like, happened as, as we WoW got older.
1: And, um, and counterintuitively, it also makes the problem worse because it goes back in time and makes those mounts incredibly affordable, right? Yeah. In th- if I'm a new player and I get to level 60, I guarantee you that day I can farm enough gold to go to northrend dalaran and buy the repair mount right off of the person for twelve thousand gold because it's just that easy you know i do my three covenant callings and that's that's half i'm halfway there right which is like 45 minutes of play yeah so
0: it's that much
1: yeah um and it's a and you know uh i learned this i learned this terminology that i think is the greatest which i call a toothpaste problem which a friend of mine used to describe you can't put toothpaste back in the tube once you squeeze it it's out there you know and and this stuff with mounts is a toothpaste problem right um you know you can't put it back in the tube you can't tell people well we're getting rid of you know <laughs> we're getting rid of this mount that <laughs> that you bought and that you've been using i mean even small even small considerations were met with like huge uproar by the community in battle for Azeroth when they changed the uh the water strider mount right there was a special mount that could walk over the water they changed that mount right and they changed it in an incredibly innocuous way by just saying here's an item you can equip it gives your mount water walking if you got to max rank with the anglers you can just go pick up that item go to pandaria you buy an item off the quartermaster you put it in the slot and there you go you have water walking and even though functionally nothing had changed right like on turn, just in terms of raw game design really nothing had changed for any of these any of these players or any of these characters uh people were still fucking pissed right so that wasn't even trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube it was just like a completely different set of toothpaste and people were so, so mad about it. And I don't know how you solve those issues.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I did that angler grind, right? And, like, you know, now I don't need to pull out my, my angler anymore, my water my water strider <laughs> anymore to walk over water. Just, you know, I think I there's think maybe kind of, like, something to be said with the, in that case, specific case for, like, kind of, like, tying the accomplishment to a specific mount, but I think that's, like, a minor consideration in the grand scheme of things. Um like I would not strenuously object to it. I might like I might like you know object to it in a minor way, but I, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. Um I don't know. Pe- yeah, but you're right. People people don't like going backwards in a, in a, in any way, shape, or form um at all. Um even if that like if it still feels bad even if that like ultimately it's, it's kind of having like knock on effects that make things the same. It's kind of like I don't know, it feels to me kind of like the idea that like if like it feels, but even if you end up taking a longer time, it feels better to be like to drive around traffic than yeah. to like sit in traffic. Even if you know you end up losing four minutes
1: because you're you're moving at least. Um, or because four minutes is such a, a small imperceptible amount of time. It, it, I, this actually, I lived this life when I was working uh, when I was working at Square Enix. I really optimized my commute home such that I could read the traffic on the highway to figure out which exit it was most efficient for me to get off and like drive, you know, drive around in order to save three, three to five minutes, basically. And like, does that even matter Do the three to five minutes? matter? No, absolutely not. My, my commute was 55 minutes or an hour, depending on how, how efficient i was is there a real difference between 55 minutes and an hour fuck no of course there's not right and i would actually argue that the optimized version was probably more dumb because i was going out of the way there were all of these lights there's you know like now you're navigating right like intersections and all this stuff which is probably more like thought intensive than You know, just sitting on sitting on the highway in the bumper to bumper traffic, right? But like there's just something that feels good about optimizing a really stupid system like traffic, you know, on on a personal level. I mean, this
0: is like it's a level of like water finds a crack, right? Like even if you're not having fun, right? Like you're gonna do it because like, you know, other like Otherwise, it, it would just be inefficient, right? Like, you know, fire into Yeah, the I mean, th-
1: yeah, that is absolutely the feeling, right? It's like when you decide that you're going to go to the store first and then pick up lunch or, or you know, or you're going to go, maybe you're going to go to lunch first and then pick up stuff at the store just because of the way the tri- the triangle on the map works and you're like it would actually be shorter for me to do this way than that way rather than the other way around because of traffic whatever and it's just like i feel like people do these dumb optimizations all the time but wow just sort of systemizes them in a way right
0: yeah yeah no i mean <laughs> and you know like like i i feel like the one they managed to get away from which was kind of like surprising was was the uh, the flight master whistle right and people were mad that, that didn't come back right and like i i kind of get it right like it was very convenient to be able to just like hit a button and be at the flight path instead of having you know actually like spend 30 seconds like you know running somewhere um man that's uh i mean
1: honestly people people they got mad about uh the map right one of the things they introduced in battle for azeroth was they introduced a flight a flight path map which gave you all of the flight paths for whatever, and then that map didn't come back in Shadowlands, and people were mad that they had to take 15 minutes, right, to go from flight point to flight point and pick up all the stuff on their alts, and it's just like, you know, like, that stuff to me is sort of, like, mind-boggling, right? Um, And then I'm playing Classic, right, where there is no Flight Master in certain zones. You have to run from a, you know, if you want to go to Molten Core, you have to fly to the, the Badlands, and run all the way through Searing Gorge in order to get there or whatever. And it's just like that is that's the kind of thing that's crazy, right?
0: Yeah. No, I mean, what was I <laughs> thinking? I remember, I remember back in the day as an Alliance player, running all the way across the Barrens, all the way to Ratchet, so I could take a a boat to, to Booty Bay, so I could do fishing stuff, right? And it's like, you know, like that. Was a pain in the ass, but it's also like memory. Like I remember that. Like I remember doing yeah. that, right? Like I remember that journey in particular, because like you know, even though it wasn't like you know a huge amount of time, it was still like time that I that I put into it. Whereas like I barely remember half of what I've done in Shadowlands, <laughs> um, you know, just because like who cares, right? Like you know, yeah, and also it's
1: very easy to 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 sort of autopilot. Chat. like one of, one of the other things about about classic is you have to read the quest text, right? Because you'll get a quest, and that's it. It's in your fucking inventory, and you got to read it. And you got to go, okay, so to the northwest of this point on the map, all right, that makes sense, there's a bunch of guys I have to kill, and I have to pick up their necklaces or whatever. In Shadowlands, I get an arrow on my map telling me where to go, and a little blue zone telling me what to do, and all of the nameplates of the enemies with the item are highlighted for me, and there's a little thing on the tooltip that says... How many of the things I've killed from those, and all of those are innovations that happened at different times, by the way, right? That just kind of like iterated they 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 came in more and more, right? First, you got some of these, then you got others, then you got others. and, and to me, I love that, right? Because part of what I think is fun is just sort of sublimating the whole experience of wow. But like that does remove a certain piece of uh you know the the it it does sort of remove a certain piece of the experience and i wonder to what extent right like that kind of stuff goes uh goes against the way that people are are playing you know like playing the game in in the current method how how mad would people get if that stuff was disabled by default for instance you you just had to go to the options to turn it on right i wonder i wonder what the answer would be
0: yeah, no, um Yeah, I mean and I think I think ultimately those things are like for the better, right? Like, you know. Yep. I can't like you know yes, it meant that like I spent like you know, I, I didn't develop these kind of like secondary effects, like you know, these secondary like community building effects or whatever. But like I remember like I always remember the worst ones were like when you had to get like two of something because they made you kill like 70 of them before like one dropped right like there's oh my god
1: okay we were doing those when we were playing our hardcore characters in classic season of mastery and you have to get one for every single person in the party right like so like you don't have to kill seven wolves to get two bones you have to kill 35 wolves to get 10 bones because every member of the party has to get two of them right and it was only and this is one of the crazy parts it was only in mists of pandaria where they made the change where when you kill when you are in a party with somebody else and you both kill a thing you both loot that item
0: yeah uh, yeah uh that's that's honestly kind of like you know and but when did they do the um the tagging thing um because that was even later right the tagging thing well because back in classic, if like you know i like you would run around and try and like hit enemies that way that would because like if somebody else killed them it didn't matter they wouldn't get any credit for them right that's
1: true yeah i don't know when they did that change um
0: because i remember that was like a big it was a big deal if you were like a single target class like you know it's like you know the major's running around like tagging everything with the fucking like you know aoe's like fuck you right like you know i want to you know i need i need to do some of this right like
1: yeah, and I wonder how much of that is um, is reflected in sort of, like, class design and stuff like that. Well, like, one of the interesting things we've seen about Classic is that, first of all, it's been out for three years, right? So, it now has its own development cycle, and they released Classic The Burning Crusade with some changes, right? We, you know, we, we went from a point where it was hashtag no changes, while Classic was having no changes whatsoever. Okay, fair enough, right? We did the no changes experience. Um, and actually there's an interview with like one of the lead designer or one of the lead engineers, sorry, on wild wow classic. And, um, and he talks about, it, he says, I think the no changes people were very satisfied with the classic launch experience, but now we're hearing two people, which is okay. Give me burning crusade and okay. Give me classic plus, right. Classic plus being classic changes, right. Classic with changes. So season of mastery is coming out where, you know, on for, for season of mastery, you you have pretty big changes, right? There are changes to the dungeons to make it so that mages can't cheese them anymore. There are changes to boss mechanics where now bosses are, you know, you can't just like roll over them anymore. Um, there's no more world buffs for the world the quote unquote world buff meta, which apparently I did not know that this was controversial. People the people think the world buff meta was good, actually. Um what's the world buff because- meta? So one of the one of the features of the old version of classic, right, is that you could get world buffs from doing certain certain things, right? So for instance, you would kill Nefarian and bring his head to Orgrimmar and everyone in Orgrimmar at the time of the kill would get a two-hour, like 15% attack power buff, something like that, right? And there were there were multiple of these. There was one for Nefarian, one for Anyxia, one for um all three. Three of the bosses in dire mall there's a ton of these basically right and the meta was in wow classic whatever you were progging at the time progging whatever raid you were you were progging at the time you would go get this quest and turn it in right at the time that you were about to go to the raid because it would do it would pop the thing everybody would get the buff and then you would you would all go into a, the raid with these like huge two hour buffs, and you just fucking stomp everything. You know it was just a complete joke, right? Um, and there was this question of should they disallow this? Obviously, never happened in the true version of classic, right? Not a thing in the real version of classic. And the question was, do you disallow this, right? Like, do you do you do you disable this uh, this stuff? And um, and the answer was no. Apparently, there were enough people who actually enjoyed it as a as a means of raid prep i guess you know like they would go out and they would they would do all of these you know these specific runs and you had to at a certain point you had to start managing alt because a a character can only complete a quest once Once, right so if you have a 40 man raid group right if you complete nefarian if you know (coughs) let's say your you have your 40 man raid group everybody you have you raid two nights a week everybody in your raid group 20 weeks later right, half a year later, now has completed the quest, and you have to start managing alts doing that, right? Where somebody says, oh, my, my alt hasn't completed it yet, so we got to do it on him, right? We got to do it on this person, right? Um, and uh, and they they liked managing the logistics of all of that and walking into the raids and just like absolutely destroying the bosses. <laughs> um, and uh, and so that stuff has gone away, right? Um, along with some other things, right? Like for instance, something that was uh, purely a net code, thing was you couldn't have more than 40 debuffs on a boss just because the servers couldn't handle that right Right. which was called the debuff limit which has since been done, done away with but the debuff limit was a huge consideration because you have classes like warlocks um and druids and shadow priests you know like all of these different classes have you know uh, Hunters putting serpent sting. You have rupture. You know you have rend from warriors, right? You just have a, all of this stuff that is, that are debuffs that are going on on the target, and that's just not enough debuffs to support all of them. So you have to make you can't take this kind of character in the raid because well, you we're gonna we're gonna reach the debuff limit, and you're not gonna be able to put Shadow Word Pain on the target. I'm sorry, kind of thing. So like changes like that have been um, have been made. Um, and, uh, and I wonder to what extent that'll happen with, like, the class-based changes as well, right? Like, one of the things that I think made Classic content easier is that they used the final patch of Classic in terms of class design and abilities and talents, right? Um, and that's after numerous, like, complete reworks of Classic talent trees because they were awful, right? Um, famously, Holy Paladins had just incredibly bad talents and they had to get like a complete rework from scratch to, to make Holy Paladins, like a viable, um, a viable class essentially. Uh, And I sort of wonder if a similar thing, you know, is going to, is going to happen in the years down the line, right? What happens when wrath comes out and there's a new version of season of mastery for the original classic players? Um, What happens when, uh, you know we're 6 years out we're on warlords maybe i guess do people want to play that far i don't know i kind of do um we're on warlords classic how much iterative change has hit classic like classic classic vanilla classic by that point right like w- do they start redoing talents because warriors are incredibly broken or War- like warriors and rogues are like all of the dps Basically, like the DPS charts are insanely out of whack because nobody understood just like the mechanics of the of the numbers behind them and uh and you can just optimize being a warrior or a rogue really easily. Um, are they gonna start balancing for those kinds of things, making changes to talent trees, right? Like, I don't know at what point are you like splitting off this parallel timeline where you have retail wow that has been progressing every year for the last you know 15 years, and you start making you know changes to to classic along those lines.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, the the thing that popped into my head is uh, you know, pre said racial spells back in classic. I don't know if they kept that for uh for this iteration, but uh, um, that was the thing that like went away. I want to say like Pandaria, maybe, or maybe it was Wrath. You you know off the top of your head,
1: Wrath, maybe.
0: Okay. Yep.
1: Uh, you know, yeah, because Devouring Plague. Which is now like a, a shadow priest staple, right? It is the big spender for the shadow Priest dps uh was the original uh was the original forsaken priest ability yeah because
0: um, yeah. I think dwarves and humans had like desperate prayer, and I, was, I played a night elf at that point, and then we had like starfall, like a weird racial spell spell to have. it was just like it was it was like interesting because it was, it was cool you know to have like this very specific thing, and for whatever reason, it was only on priests, if I remember correctly, like no one else mm-hmm. had 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 this um, yep nobody
1: else had that um, and i thought
0: that was deep but i understand why they, why they why they uh did away with it but uh uh yeah although i suppose that none of that's important enough to, to to like make like a change i don't think anybody's gonna get mad about it but yeah interesting um but we're kind of at the end of the hour you want to talk anything else about these, these kind of genre resurrections that's that have been happening
1: What else did I put in the? I, I I listed out a bunch of these, but what else did I think of? Uh, we talked about all of these. Oh oh, so another interesting one is Ghosts and Goblins, which I don't know very much about. I just know that they made they made a remaster that made a a brief splash, um, which was Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection. Um, in 20 in 2021 Ghosts of goblins is famously an incredibly difficult game that was released by you know capcom for the for the arcade era i feel like this one is mostly sort of like a novelty um but i do sort of wonder what the value is when it becomes pretty easy to you know Um, re-export you know okay to put this another way one of the things that that the film industry figured out in the dvd era is that you can get people to buy things multiple times by re-releasing and remastering and changing small things reformatting them right you know you do the digital edition then you do the collector's edition that has all the bonus content then you do the the founder's edition that has the deleted scenes worked into the whatever right you know like that kind of thing to what extent do you think that that's, uh, that that's in the future for games right do you think that there are going to be a lot of re-releases of classic games or classic titles um just as a sort of easy win to make money by re-releasing you know whatever mario 64 on the on the switch
0: uh yes because we've already seen it happening right like this kind of gets into like the re-release versus remaster kind of like um uh, uh distinction I guess. because um, like there's some like um or like versus like reboot I guess because like there have been gra- there have been games to get graphical updates like and you know specifically with like the Switch, right? There are a lot of games that like didn't sell a lot of copies on the Wii U because no one bought that system. Um that are just like being re released on the Switch, right? Um uh and I think that like you know there's also opportunities to bundle it, right? Like, you know, um both playstation and nintendo have their kind of like classic re-release packs right like um or the services that let you play like classic games again um and companies do kind of like these like built-up packs of it so i I definitely think that those types of things are going to keep happening even if they're just kind of like add-ons to other things um uh, how much so i'm not sure like you know obviously the big the big recent example was the gta3 remaster that was like a complete and total shit show, um, uh, and, and like worse than like a you know a modded version that people had you know had done on their own, um, but I definitely th- I definitely think that it's gonna happen for some of these like 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 MMOs are a little bit tougher to do just because like they require so much infrastructure. There's no reason to not say re-release, um, you know Super Mario Brothers till the end of time, right? Like in various and sundry versions. Um, hell i think they re-released like super mario brothers on the snes right like you know yeah
1: um, i mean maybe maybe the answer is these re-releases have been happening but they're just so kind of quiet that i haven't yeah. paid any attention to them right uh, maybe, maybe like maybe you can't play super mario 64 on the 64 on the um uh,
0: uh did you know you know like they released a triple pack of sunshine i think galaxy and Another game, and then they just they were like, it's only around until like April of last year. It was a big thing because it's like,
1: you know, Switch, not, wow, yeah, yeah. I've just never heard of this. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, it was a controversy because they're like, we're not going to sell it past this point, and you have to buy it now. It's like, well, fuck you Nintendo, right? Like, there's literally no reason why I can't, why you can't let us buy it like you know, two years from now. Um, they're just you're trying to FOMO people into like actually buying the, the pack, but um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that like. I, I think so long as, you know, it like, there's an interest there. I think, that, like, and there's also kind of, like, interest in, like, some classic games that, like, don't have good successors in the modern day. I think that's, like, the more compelling version of this, right? Like, you know, um like, good old games to, has a fair number of these. Like, there's, like, Homeworld has, like, a, a new game that's, like, pretty decent. But, like, you're still not getting, like the, like, the Homeworld 1 experience and the Homeworld 2 experience are significantly different enough that people might want to play those again. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm saying homework in particular right now because Mandalore Gaming recently did a video on them. Um or like Thief, right? Like the most recent Thief was like not well received at all. Um, um and so there's like a market for the classic games. Um same thing with um Deus Ex, the the original the original two Deus Exes. Um and and in some cases, it's not even like a re-release. It's just kind of like somebody hacks together like a package that I run on modern systems, but with the same graphics. And throws it on GOG, and then somebody else comes up looking at like maybe a graphics pack if you want it type of deal. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I wonder if there if any of these will ever like really hit it hit it big. Um, in a way that like I don't know, I don't know i I don't know what I expect.,
0: you know, I don't know if, like any of them come back in like the same force they were, right? Like,
1: yeah, like, I feel like if it would have happened, it would have already happened, right? We've already gotten a star a starcraft remaster, but it's not like that re like fueled the huge rts boom or whatever and most people like you know if you ask esports people what they think the best esport of all time was it was brood war almost always right people said that starcraft brood war was just like the most competitive you know game that had the the best players uh of all time playing it right um and i don't know if you you know like i don't know if if you can find that kind of experience again
0: I mean, people still play like Street Fighter Two in like various versions, and like they re-release it every once in a while on on new systems. But like, I think you're ultimately right. Yeah, um, for the most part, at least. Almost Are there any like,
1: genres that haven't gotten a reawakening that you would like to see come back?
0: I don't. I don't know. Just because, like, I don't. I can't think of any. Like, the platformer genre is very healthy, right? Um, I just don't know if there's any genre that I can think of that that I would, like, that isn't around that I would want to come back. Um, like, I wasn't a fan of, like, side-scrolling beat-em-ups typically. I thought Streets of Rage 4 was was, was pretty good. But I'm not a fan of these kind of, like, RTS, you know, APM RTS-type games, right? Like, I don't want to play AoE 4. Ever. I realized, you know, a long time ago that I don't actually like StarCraft, right? <laughs> so, I stopped playing it. Um... Uh... But yeah, I, I, and you know, you know what's an interesting version that we didn't talk about at all? It's like, like what has been doomed, like, or what is like the doomed? Doom is an example. What has been termed, boomer shooters have made like an amazing comeback and like arena shooters have, have made like an amazing comeback in the last few years.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I thought was dead forever was the infinite arsenal, right? You know, because with Halo and, you know, Call of Duty, right? Like, the FPS norm became you only have two guns. You got to right. choose wisely kind of thing, right? Or three or four, whatever the number is, right? Point is, you have a select number of guns. You cannot hold them all. But, yeah, <laughs> one of the one of the mechanics to make a big comeback during the pandemic was an infinite arsenal where you could just get as many weird and kooky guns in there. Um and honestly, that's really weird and interesting. I kind of didn't expect it, and I sort of don't understand it, but...
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think people wanted the more kind of like fast-paced, intense, like, like this is like basically what Doom 2016 is, right? Yeah. You Doom to do maternal, uh, It's kind of like the post trial for like, you know, high kinetic action, you know, um, and each of your weapons is a different tool, but for a different situation, which is a, which is a, a you know, truly a refinement of the genre, right? Yeah. Like, the old infinite arsenal would kind of like choose the way you kill this person, but like in Doom Eternal, especially, like weapons have different roles and are more effective at different things. Um. And you're you're kind of supposed to like, you know, almost like play it like play the game like a xylophone, right? Like hitting the right note for the right enemy. Hit, the right yeah, note. yeah,
1: yeah. And I think Doom Eternal and and 20, Doom twenty sixteen are both really interesting examples because they do update so much of the the old you know Doom experience to be kind of t- to not just modern fidelity in terms of graphics or anything else, but in terms of mechanics, right? Like it has a lot of mechanics that you would otherwise expect for a modern fps shooter and i kind of wonder what some of that stuff might look like right like what happens if somebody you know blizzard hires a bunch of modern strategy devs right you know not mainstays who've been in the company for forever and they make a starcraft 3 but starcraft 3 as a strategy game owes a lot to other modern strategy games like Total War, like you know, paradox games or whatever, right? And it plays out almost more like a, a, a grand strategy game than a true RTS, right? Like, what would that kind of look like? Um, because you know, I have to really interesting question, right? <laughs> I yeah. think that there's a lot to it,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I think kind of that reminds me just kind of like your original question what genre that, that you like to see back. And this is a very niche kind of genre, but basically, like, I'm thinking of <laughs> um, effectively the genre that's kind of defined by like heroes of might and magic where it's like a a a tbs game but like it's much more about like it's almost like a a, a crpg in terms of the way you explore the map and pick up resources instead of being like 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 uh it's tend to be like it's a little bit less than grand strategy and those kinds of games tend tend to be grand strategy where like you're like you're not picking up like a pile of gold off the map right you're you're taking strategic objectives it's a little bit more high level than um although total warhammer gets kind of close i don't think it's, it's quite in that in that level that'd be a neat thing to, to see again
1: um, I, it's gonna get closer in uh i'm in total War warhammer 3 right you know because there's there's all that customization of the of the daemon prince and people think that that's going to inform later things where you're going to be able to like really customize your legendary lord or whatever which like that you know, it's like the full RPGification, right, of this aspect of the of you know of a grand strategy game. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, but
0: you know, that's that. We're uh, we're way over kind of like main topic. We now. are lo-
1: we are also way over time. Yes. How was how was your week? Tell me all about your life.
0: Um, it's been pretty good. You know, uh, mostly just been chilling. Like I said, I, I had some uh, I had some friends of the cast. Over this weekend and we ended up playing a bunch of uh streets of rage Four, which we talked about minecraft dungeons which is like very interesting it's, it's kind of like a light diablo type thing and you know you don't have different classes but like you do pick up different like the different items kind of depend like define your class almost you get a bow or you get a range weapon a melee weapon a piece of armor you have three slots for what are called artifacts those are essentially your active abilities um, but they all have rarities, so you're kind of constantly switching them out. And then your your three your three main pieces of equipment can be enchanted. You like level up like you leveling up using you an enchantment point. It lets you kind of like add uh, affixes effectively to your to your weapons that are like uh, set per weapon. So you're doing a lot of rolling over. But it's a very neat kind of like pared down experience. Um, super fun to play on Like like I said, couch co-op, uh, derp around and like you know. Uh just like kill some time with um what else did i weekend? um i watched uh, uh adaptation for the second time which is uh just like a very weird but very interesting film have you seen it
1: I watched it a long time ago yeah, yeah yes i have seen it it's one of those i like i, I watch a ton of these which were just like important movies that i watched in you know in college because like they were important movies and i was trying to understand film better so i think adaptation is fine i don't have more complex thoughts about it than that i think it's clever but ultimately kind of a little bit hollow you know like like i don't think that there's a it it, kind of reminds me of uh uh bad times at the el royale and that it's like it's a very fun watch the first time as you're kind of understanding the sort of plot mechanics but that's kind of all that there was to like i don't think that there's like deeper or more complex stuff on its mind it doesn't have any like themes or things that i'm kind of walking away with so
0: somebody somebody in the channel says it's no man of steel was that Who's logged into? Wait,
1: the- what? Who's locked into? That wasn't you. No, it's got to be Zhao, right? Yeah, it must be Zhao. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's no man of steel. Honestly, it is no fucking man of steel, right? Um, so you know, <laughs> you know, I I
0: I think it does have like there's, there's I think there's a lot in there kind of about like you know self confidence and whatnot. For, for those of you at home that are totally unfamiliar, Nick Cage plays Charlie Kaufman, um, who is the writer of the film he was trying to adapt a book for uh, as a movie, which is like actually how the movie came about. He was trying to adapt this book into a movie and like couldn't do it and got caught on it. And so in the movie, he's essentially starts writing the movie that you're watching, which is like a clever thing. Like it's a neat thing. To, it's, it's a neat thing to watch, but there is a lot in there kind of about like, you know, Charlie Kaufman's like totalizing self doubt and like in it, like, you know, and like sheer awkwardness that like, really fucking kind of like um uh it, yeah if that was that was friend of the cast out typing out, okay as the broadcaster, um, yeah,
1: like you know and and I, I i guess I'm ultimately a defender of adaptation because I do think naval gazey stuff can be good, and adaptation is very navel gazy, and it is very good, um. Uh, but I, I I just don't have any like deeper emotional connections and I, it doesn't even like help me understand the genre better. You know, so for instance, it's like a movie about movies. Maybe like the disaster artist is a good example of this, right? Which is like a film about the craft of filmmaking, right? And the heart of that movie is the old woman. has breast cancer you place the actress who has breast cancer or whatever in the in the movie the room right and um and somebody asks her you know he's like you know you got you've got a husband you've got kids you drive all the way in here from san bernardino every day right like why and she's just like because this is matt you know making movies is magical and that's clearly the heart of the movie right the heart of the movie is that it's a magical experience to to make a movie, even if it's fucking crazy, weird, bonked out of your mind movie like The Room, right? It is ultimately sort of reverential of the process. And so, like, I can, I can at least connect with, with something like The Disaster Artist on that level. I don't really connect with The Adaptation on that level, right? Yeah. And I don't think it really informs me or my understanding of how, you know, I don't know, any of that stuff happens. Because it's kind of... Um,
0: it's mostly for, about the writer, right? There's very little about the actual movie production, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. yeah, Oof. yeah. Um, uh, and it uh, is about the it is about like the art of adaptation, right? And like what a good adaptation is supposed to be in a in a weird way, right? Charlie Kaufman's own inability to make that happen is part of the text, but it's not like the heart of it, I guess. So. That's
0: something that occurs to me that I think would be super interesting, and this is kind of random, but I wonder what like Max Landis thinks of adaptation. Um, I think that'd be an interesting take to hear. That
1: would be interesting. I that would be interesting. Um, since Max Landis is is a screenwriter, effectively, yeah, especially because I also think that he and a lot of other screenwriters like this, you know, um, uh, people underestimate the outlandish ideas that make. Uh, like a writer a writer um any, you know an artist an artist right um you know something that that we're we're in we're in prime leak season right which is uh every 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 year uh, every every point in the patch cycle around this time people start writing fake wow leaks right and the fake wow leaks never read authentically Because people don't think about them like they think about... Nobody wants to write an authentic leak. They want to write a wish-fulfillment leak, right? Like, this is what me, the player, wants. All of my pet peeves are personally answered. All of the things that I want to see player housing are are in the game, right? But real expansions never look like that. And in the same way, real fucking movies never look like that, right? People say they want a Star Wars movie where yada, yada, yada happens. Um... But if there is a Star Wars movie like that, it typically sucks. And the Star Wars movies you get are bonker, more bonkers than that. They're just weirder than that, right? Um, and I feel like that's that's kind of universally true. And I feel like it would be true of Max Landis, right? All of his adaptations are always the more bonkers version of them than you would expect, right? Like,
0: yeah. All right, so one one last big thing that I did with my week, Um, just because it's amusing, um, part part of this visit with friends was, uh, you know, uh, ingesting certain uh, psychoactive substances, and so (laughs) we sat down and I just put on the Tim Rogers review of Tokameki Memorial. We got about an hour into it before somebody was like, "What the fuck are we watching?" (laughs)
1: Have you watched the cyberpunk review yet? I have not. I have not. are you gonna finish cyberpunk? I am in a very weird spot where I feel like I, I, I I'm sorry, I wanna watch Cyberpunk, but I'm sorry, I want to watch the review, but I haven't beaten Cyberpunk and I don't know what's correct.
0: Yeah, I mean I feel like I'm far enough into it that I could probably do it. The other thing is is I have heard friend of the cast monarch has informed me that there are rumors that a big cyberpunk patch is dropping in the next few weeks. Probably I've heard like, that too. Yeah. It's like, should should I wait and replay the whole thing? I might go and watch. I definitely want to rewatch the Tokameka Memorial video. Cause like I like I was very I was like very enraptured by that first hour. Whereas my my companion my my one page in particular was like, why are we watching this? I am
1: never going to play Tokameki Memorial. <laughs> it is in Japanese. Yeah, i you know, honestly, I don't give a fuck, man. I yeah. love that I love that review. I you I know, it's too. like uh th- th- there's a lot of these. You know, two or three hour video essays that just like are the greatest fucking thing, and I will watch them over and over. Do you know about Knowing Better? Have you ever watched Knowing Better's thing um, content?
0: I have. I dropped him after a while because I, uh, I've I've got specific problems with the way he expresses certain things. But like, it, oh, interesting. Have, have, you, have you heard of like the Joe Man Amnesia effect? No. Okay, so Joe Man Amnesia is like basically I I, I forget who. But, I forget who Joe Man was, but like basically he describes this, this thing where it's like, you know, you open up the newspaper and you see an article on something you know intimately, and you realize that the journalist has basically gotten it entirely wrong. Kind of like, you know, what streets cause rain type cause and effect confusion confusions or whatever. And this sure. is kind of like, you know, and being very generous, right? Like this is kind of like the what happens when you have to simplify like a complex topic for an audience. But then you turn yep. the page, and this is Man Amnesia, and you see a you see like a report on a topic that you don't know and you assume that it's well informed even though you know that the stuff you do know about is poorly informed right and that's kind of like i had that moment with knowing better i forget which video it was
1: he did a libertarian video which i also did not like but uh i bet that was it yeah that might
0: have <laughs> been it there was there was that yeah, i mean there was there was that the, and then there was like the april fool's day video he did about like um uh about like something that was like 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 he was clearly wrong about right like he that was the point right
1: it was ancient aliens right it yeah, was, yeah yeah yeah
0: the, was the like, bit
1: was that he was actually that this whole time he was an ancient aliens person and i think it also goes into heaven's gate at the end but obviously that was that was a bit
0: yeah no, it was a bit but i also was like this is not super distinguishable from this like real content and i don't know how much i trust him right like um which you know fair enough and like that's like you know like the bigger deal was like the video like it was probably was a libertarian video that i thought was the, that i thought was was it was it about ayn rand in particular
1: i'm pretty sure yeah, it was that's yeah. the thing i that, like i'm I mean, an ayn rand fan
0: but i was like this yeah. is not great right like
1: hold on god what is the video called redefining american capitalism libertarianism yeah i'm pretty sure that it is kind of secretly just the life story of like ayn rand which i've always hated that equivocation um but um <coughs> But I did go back and rewatch a bunch of his videos, especially because he does this thing about cults. Like he 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 went on like a a cults thing where he explained Mormons and he explained Jehovah's Witnesses and he explained um, the Nexium cults. You know the the sex trafficking cults with the vancouver actresses or whatever it's just like those ones are just the good ones those are the the juicy the scientology one is really good i i don't know why but for some reason there's just something like therapeutic about watching video essays i've watched 10 times before back again
0: that's fair enough that's fair enough yeah
1: yeah and then there's also the the therapeutic feeling of going out and finding a video essay on a topic and then rewatching the entire thing of the topic just so I could watch the video essay, which I have been doing with The Hunger Games recently because some somebody put out an hour-long video about teen dystopias and they start talking about The Hunger Games. I'm like, you know what? I haven't even watched those movies in a long time. And I've watched those movies again. And first of all, they suck. But second of all, there's a bunch of shit stuff in there that I completely forgot about. Like PETA, the one guy Gets stabbed and then paints himself to look like a fucking rock, and then like Katniss walks over walks over him, and the backstory is he's a baker and he learned how to decorate cakes. Therefore, he can make, a, he can make, and I'm blending into a rock outfit or whatever. <laughs> just like, holy shit, I hate this.
0: Oh man. You know what? You just reminded me about two other things I watched. One of which you might find interesting. Have you heard of With Dave and Bob? Yeah. Dave. Oh, with yeah. That's with, like, with fam- I have Dave. not watched
1: it, but uh, with Dave and Bob is the, is Dave, uh, David, David Cross, Cross and Bob, Oden- Bob Odenkirk. Odenkirk. Yeah. Yeah. Very, it's, yeah. That's like a super famous show that was like, it's the kind of show that, um, it's like Faulty Towers or something that everybody knows because specifically people who like make TV shows always go. That was the inspiration for this.
0: So that's interesting because I I had not heard of it and it's, it's on Netflix and it's like five episodes. I haven't watched the last episode yet because it's an hour long. Um, but like I watched like the the, the episodes of go and I didn't think it was great. Like I thought I thought there were moments that were good, but I thought like a lot of it was just kind of like like didn't land for me. I don't know. And I really oh, like I don't really like David Cross and Bob Odenkirk, right? So like you know um but you know i watched that and then the other thing was there's this movie called the history of future folk which is a great title and it's like built as like this sci-fi kind of thing it's what the the description is like um an alien sent to colonize earth hears music and is moved to like defend the planet um from being colonized or whatever um and like we start like again this is the thing i'm watching with with a couple of friends and like we start up like what the hell is this turns out future folk is like a comedy folk band that like we're like it's like their like band lore was this thing about like this what was this story and they like filmed it and it's like the most like it's like the most modestly budgeted fucking movie you will ever see and it's so it's like it's it's like a cult classic movie like i don't know if it's actually a cult classic but it's like definitely in that vein of kind of like very weird um kind of fun um and, like, it was under the category of 90-minute films, uh, which, you know, is, is a great category, right? It's like, I'm not going to spend more than an hour and a half on this. Um, uh, but I would, I would tentatively recommend it. It's goofy. It is very goofy, but it's, but it's fun. Um, okay. Well, yeah. fair enough.
1: I mean, yeah, the other thing that I watched that we will maybe talk about in, like, some future scenario, I don't know, is, uh, is Archive 81, which is a Netflix show that, honestly, I don't know why. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it just got me with the algorithm. It has, like, this weird alien head statue as, like, the key art in Netflix. And I was just like, huh. And apparently it's a TV show made out of a, a podcast, like a like a Welcome to Night Vale sort of horror podcast. Um, and I started watching it, and I was just enraptured. Is this in- the found, found footage one? uh it's a uh, so no but kind of so basically the premise of the show is there's a video um there's a guy who specializes in restoring uh damaged videotapes right and there was a fire in an apartment building in the 90s called the viscera apartments and the some some wealthy you know guy buys the tapes and he has the tapes but they have to be kept at this special archive right so as not to damage the tapes and he hires a guy to go and restore those tapes at this archive it's you know in the middle of nowhere with nobody around right and as he's restoring the tapes you know spooky stuff starts happening he's unraveling the mystery of what caused this fire etc cetera, etc cetera. um and it just grabbed me in a way that I haven't been grabbed in a long time by like uh, by like something horror related. Actually, the the funny thing is that the thing I compared it to was Chernobyl. I was talking about this with some other friends, and they asked me like, what you know, like what was it like? Um, and the thing I compared it to was Chernobyl because, and which is weird <laughs> because I, I don't know if Chernobyl is technically a horror show i would classify it as a horror show because i think about it in those terms right um uh, but it just hit me in that in that very same way of just like um you know as as the whole thing is unraveling i was just like maybe a better way to think about how i was watching it was stranger things in the stuff that was happening kept me really gripped to sort of like the mystery of what was going on. And I just really needed to see what was happening next. And, uh, and it really, honestly, it set up and pay off just like on a narrative level, just really well. Um It's one of those shows that sets up a ton of weird things um and knocks them all down like dominoes. Right. So that like by the end of the season, kind of all of the mysteries were solved in, in a way there's there's a lot of like open-ended stuff but you basically get an understanding of why everything that happened happened um and uh and that's like really like narratively satisfying but it makes for just like a really good it just makes for like a really good ride seeing the seeing the whole thing kind of go um and end to end so
0: yeah i guess yeah that that makes that makes sense. This show was recommended to me by by friend of the cast, Monik.
1: Um Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so I was gonna pitch maybe that we do an episode on it. Like, um
0: because I made the same connection to Welcome to Night Vale, but also Welcome to Night Vale is like a humorous more than it is like
1: Yeah, so like, Archive 81, the podcast, my understanding is the the Archive 81 podcast is is different. It's fundamentally similar, right? Um <laughs> but the podcast is truly found footage in that it is um it is uh tapes right so the premise of the archive 81 podcast is that there is a an audio specialist who who's good at re you know reconstituting damaged audio tapes right like audio cassette tapes um and he's recording the process of him doing so as a means of uh quality control for his employer right and um and the, you know it's the same thing there's a, there's a fire in the viscer apartments and he's he's unraveling the thing but the 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 TV show because it, it has the it is the advent of a video camera is just fundamentally different than um the just like on a on a sort of craft level right the thing that they do is they show you the person with the camera, right? So the camera's on and it's recording, right? But they film it like a normal TV show. So you are looking at the person holding the camera. You're not looking through the lens of their okay, camera, okay. which is why I wouldn't call it fan footage, essentially. It's Fair like enough. the same thing. You only see the stuff that she does on camera, right? Um, but, <coughs> but you don't see through the lens of the camera. That makes sense. All
0: right awesome did you want to talk about anything else with your week because i kind of dominated this back half of the section
1: you know i guess i don't uh i guess i do not
0: all right well uh, with that then i'm gonna say uh it's time to wrap it up then uh, if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us about any of the things we talked about in this podcast you can email us to gmail.com or podcasts at games.com. Go follow us at twitch.tv slash for these shows go out live um uh rate reviews wherever you can find podcast podcasts um you know uh give us like shout us out we love audience interactions um uh, and that's uh, i think everything i have but do you have anything you want to promote
1: i do have one small thing that i'm looking to promote which is that cardboard kings one of the games that i've been working on for the past year is releasing next friday uh february 10th uh cardboard kings or i'm sorry next thursday is actually um cardboard kings is like uh it's like a card show you own a you own a card shop, and you are buying and selling cards for a card that's sort of like it's like a card game like Magic the Gathering or whatever, right? And you're getting in juicy rares, and but it's the same sort of like buy sell low high kind of uh, or buy buy low sell high buy sell low high, yeah, uh buy low sell high sort of mechanics of uh, of any of these sorts of like um shop simulators, but. I don't know, man. I I love it. I just want. I I am very excited for this one to to get out there because I championed hard for us to pick up this title, um, and I uh, and we did, and it's it's sweet. Um, we've also got a bunch of stuff coming up for this, like in terms of um the different like uh uh the different events or whatever. Um, so which you can so- go see. I don't know. It's out there. the 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 news is out there. You can go see the details somewhere else So question
0: do you you like actually play the card game at any point or is it just kind of like buying cards? no it is
1: just buying and selling the cards there is technically there there are a couple of different mini games right you know one of them is like a booster draft um one of them is a tournament but they all have they all have the the card game itself happens off screen right when you're drafting boosters you are picking up you're picking up boosters and you're trying to get good packs or whatever and um and then the actual playing of the of the draft happens off screen. When you're when you're doing a tournament, it is it is a it is a vehicle for <coughs> driving up um and changing the value of cards, right? So if you <laughs> if you schedule a tournament, you say cards from this set are legal in the tournament and then the the value of the those cards goes up leading up into the tournament because people are buying cards for. Like so th- there's stuff like that. But there's, there's never a moment where you actually sit down and play the card game.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Awesome. All right. Well, with that then, um, I'm going to say, uh, until next time, dear listeners.
1: Until next time, loyal listeners.